As we finish the year, it is important to look back to review where we have come and the challenges faced in order to set the new year up for success. 2022 was a fairly turbulent year, seeming to move in warp speed with people trying to overcome the pandemic and the trade winds that have been faced over the past few years. Hear from the med experts as they weigh in on the challenges they faced, as well as their strategies for overcoming on this episode of the MedTech Business Academy, 2022, a year in review. Hey, hello, everybody, and welcome back to MedTech Business Academy. I'm Ted Newell, and uh, today we have Barbara Strain uh, helping us out, Scott Alexander. We've got uh, we have Tom Hickey, and we also have Skender Darity. So I'm glad um, those four people are with me today. And we have a little bit to talk about as we sort of wrap up the year. We think about everything that's happened this year. Um, some things that we talked about earlier have changed since we talked about them. And we'll comment on those things now. We'll do a little wrap up of the year. We'll, we'll look at it in terms of maybe different functions of the business as we finish the year and what it means going into next year. And uh, next year, we'll start off with some ideas about how you can start a strong year. So um, I'll leave it open. Let's see. We can start with Scott. What are your thoughts on wrapping up the year? Yeah, I was actually talking to somebody earlier today about the fact that this year feels like it's only been about seven months and um, just kind of flown by. And yeah, as I as I look at it, it's it's been a fairly turbulent year. I mean, again, we've been through a lot of turbulent years, but um, I I think about this really as a bit of a reawake, reawakening, right? So if we think about what we've seen in over 22, it's really been people coming out of the um, the depression and from a sales and marketing standpoint that I think 2020 and 2021 were, and everyone's trying to get back to some level of normalcy. So I think we've seen attempts at that. We haven't necessarily seen it sort of completely take hold, but um, this has definitely been a year where um, we've, I think, maybe recognized the need for um, a uh, a hybrid between sort of where we've been 2019 and earlier, what we had to do, like had to do in air quotes in 2021 and sort of what that future looks like. I, I think that's been one of the biggest takeaways for me is that ability to to set up a hybrid uh, between the two approaches to to grow businesses. Barbara, what do you think? So to take off on that, uh, a lot of people have put both on provider and supplier side things they learned and put them into practice so that they don't hopefully repeat some mistakes and things. Some things actually changed for the worse as we went through, and we're sitting in one of those times right now, is we all basically said, what do we think the winter is going to look like? So it's exasperated a lot of situations where there's so many more constraints on the provider side that manufacturers are ha still having that difficult time getting any time at all to sell anything. And then that means that providers may not be traveling because either they have travel um, restrictions or they just don't can't go because they're too busy. Mm -hmm. So there is a conundrum now at the end of the year that maybe at the beginning of the year, we had better hopes as Scott was saying, we have sort of phases. Tom, you. 
I just want to build off of what Barbara said, which uh, Barbara raised some really good points, but uh, to, to go on a little different side of the equation, there's also many of those considerations for startups or early stage companies in raising money, right? The investment community was all in, you know, as we turned into, you know, 2021 to 2022. Now they've tapped the brakes and what used to be an easy um, process has become much more difficult. And like your providers, your messaging to potential investors in the investor community has to be razor sharp. And what might have taken, you know, a, a week or two previous is now taking two or three months to get things through the investor community and their due diligence. I think it's a really good point. I heard the same thing from a couple uh, people that are involved in startups, financing startups. And uh, the other point, the other side of that, Tom, is if you have funding, you need to conserve your resources. You can't 100%. just uh, spend like crazy. You've got to be very, very careful about how you use your resources. Skender. I, I think 2022 comes down to supply and labor. Um, you know, that's the two most dominant things on a, on a typical provider's income statement, the biggest expense that there is, and it's created all sorts of challenges across healthcare for everyone. Uh, we still haven't had a, rebound in all the procedural volumes that I think was anticipated coming into the year uh, due to the labor challenges, supply challenges on both sides and the price increases that come with that. I think the, um, you know, all most of the med tech clients that I speak to are in some way, shape or form still trying to chase out of their back order issues and mm. providers are fighting them tooth and nail on every price increase that they're proposing um, so when you look at it, it's, this is, I think we've entered into a new frontier. Um, and if you look at some of the reports, the financial reports that are coming out of the provider sector, I mean, it's a bloodbath out there mm -hmm. and they're going to have to make some sort of correction in 2024, uh, 2023, sorry. And I don't know exactly where, where that's going to come from. I you know, the labor pool doesn't have any more to give and the supply pool doesn't have much more to give. So this is going to be an interesting year. Let's talk a couple more minutes about that because that is really the foundation of, of the environment. When there is another side to that, that I'd like to speak about in a second, but let's talk about the hospital provider side in the, in the clinics, the ASCs, and maybe not the ASCs. They may not be in as much trouble as, as uh, unless they're part of a hospital, then it's different. But I really agree with you. You know, we talked about a recession, an overall recession in the economy. That looks like it might not happen. But that doesn't matter because there's a recession in the in the provider part, part of the business. And like you said, the labor costs have gone crazy and um the and all the turnover has created a lot of difficulties not only for the hospitals but then also for those of us that provide to the hospitals. So, let's talk a little bit more about that particular environment, Barb. So we're, I'm going to pick up kind of where I left off, but we've got the triple demic going on right now. So did you coin that, by the way, Barbara? Is it your? No, I, I did not <laughs> coin that. Sorry, I'm not Pat getting Riley. royalties as I'm on air. <laughs> uh, the thing of it is, is that the only thing you can sort of control are those procedures based on your staffing and that sort of thing, and and 
But when you've got your ER and your referrals inundated from all of the triple-demic stuff, then you've got to throw your resources back at that. Now, you learned a lot during COVID how to sort of stretch things, how to take care of, you know, infection control things and stuff like that. But I tell you, uh, when you have a decrease in even drugs, antivirals, and a variety of antibiotics even to treat things, you now have more stress on your respiratory, and they couldn't keep up before. So there are just a lot of issues. And so I think we're going to see more of this very roller coaster. This winter we knew was going to be iffy, but we didn't realize how early it was really going to hit before winter actually happened. And then we're going to have to go through 2023 to see what new cycle are we really on. It's not going to be really stable. So there's just there's just everything's going on every single day. And if you don't keep your ear to the ground, um, it's it's really a little on disastrous. I, I think that um, if I'm working for a med tech company, I'm, I hear like our discussion around the providers. And I think, well, why do I really care? And I think it comes down to the fact that they are the bellwether of our entire industry. And, you know, operating margins for a hospital system is 2.2%. That number's a little dated, but it's not too far off. And primarily driven off of those procedure volumes of like orthopedics, oncology, cardiology. And so if you're not doing orthopedic procedures at the same volume that you were, you're really looking to cut costs. You're you're trying to figure out what you can do. Your labor expenses are way up. So if you're, how do you, every crisis is an opportunity. Like, what do you do if you're not the premium product, right? And you can come in at a lower price point. I think there's a great opportunity for companies just to come in and and be that lower cost, but acceptable, clinically acceptable, you know, uh, more competitive priced something. And if you're a premium product, you sure as all get out need to think about how do you turn your value propositions into things that are showing the the savings that are being delivered in other spaces or else you are definitely at risk. So, Well, you know, you, you said something interesting. If I'm a med tech person and that's our primary listener base, if I'm a med tech executive, what do I care about this discussion about the provider market? I think it's very simple. When the hospital systems have a cold, med tech gets a pneumonia, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so you have to understand that 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 process. Um, and if you're not in tune with what's happening with your customer base, you can't plan, you can't project. A lot of people are now entering into that season where they, some of them have exited out of there doing their 2023 projections. Some of them are about to enter their 2023 projections. And you can do whatever you want in a bubble, but if you don't have your finger on the pulse of what's happening with your macro customer base, all of that can be thrown out by February. Mm-hmm. Tom, you want to wrap things up on that? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think um, part of the, you know, what you've got to consider here then is really a communication strategy and really focused on what's that value you're going to bring and how are you going to reach that end user to communicate that value? Because at the same time, you know, kind of coming full circle, you've got people that uh, in your provider network that have never been busier, that have never been more shorthanded, that don't have the time to do the analytics. So the more you can provide them that information, the best practices, the outcomes, all of that in the one package, 
because you're only going to get one shot to get their attention. And, and, you know, then it might be another three months or so before you get another shot. So you really have to have everybody all up and down your organization focused on that messaging, focused on that best practice and how you're going to communicate it. Ted, I know you want to move on, but just let me give a plug to Barbara, because I think um, I want to read, I want to reemphasize what um, Tom said, right? At, At the end of the day, the value analysis committees are stronger than they've ever been if you're selling into an IDN environment. And I go back to when I was running a GPO and sourcing for a big health system. And I can tell you the number of companies that came in with a clear understanding of not just the clinical impact, but the financial and operational pieces, it was like 10%. And it was it was like Medtronic was good at it. J&J was good at it. Uh, Bard was good at it. Boston Site, like the big players would always come in and they'd have nice presentations and talk about the clinical benefits and the financial and operational considerations. Those late, latter two are exponentially more important today than they were back in 2015, 2016 when I was, you know, when I was in position. So if you don't have that, you should just expect that you're, you're going to miss your top line. Like there's really not a lot of debate about that because it's, it's such a competitive environment and the financial and operational considerations are so key. So my plug is, Barbara Strain at barbastrain.com, right? (laughs) (laughs) Knows this world like the back of her hand. And Scott, I would, you know, put the plug in for you too with with Gyrus and and marketing, what you're doing there too. That whole micro marketing piece is really important to get those little uh, bullets in there, right? Those little messages that will create that. I think that's really uh, key to this as well. You can tell this is a year in review session because we're all we're also going to get in our cameos. Well, what, I was well, going to let Tom know that uh, his check is in the mail. So thanks. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> My mom, who is our number one listener, is uh, saying how proud she is of her little boy. So that's great. Thank, Thank God for Scott's mother. <laughs> one, one thing I'd like to bring up is a different side. And I don't know how many um, uh, medical specialties would uh, – would fit in this category, but in the ophthalmology and optometry, the instrument companies are having a bang up year. Hmm. They are just going crazy. Yeah. Other than when we get hit with um, the, um, you know, a, a back order on, on uh, parts or something like that, supply chain issue that interferes with it. So there are some manufacturers that on different products have huge delays, like, you know, two, three, four months, five months, even a year. But still, the orders in uh, out of these practices, which buy a lot of their own equipment, so they're sort of separated from the other the provider environment that we were just talking about. So I don't, I don't know if plastic surgery fits into that, or dentistry fits into that, or whatever. But in ophthalmology and optometry, um, my colleagues in the business have, have been having a terrific year. Dentistry's been good as well. We do a fair amount of marketing in the dental space, and okay. yeah, it's been tearing it up. Uh, I could be wrong, but from an economist standpoint, don't, aren't both of those so heavily pegged to the private insurance market? So if we are in a recession and there are going to be layoffs, that diminishes the pool of people who are insured. So the record, uh, I sound like a prognosticator now, but <laughs> asking a question here, isn't that going to have a potential major headwind effect for those? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, it, it could if people aren't are there without money, but um, the um, a lot of ophthalmologists, or I don't know about ophthalmologists, but a lot of optometrists, first of all, ophthalmologists, Medicare, probably majority, majority of their income comes from Medicare. 
Um, optometry, a lot of them are going non-insurance. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And my dentist, my dentist has made an effort to uh, create a concierge service. And mm-hmm. I looked at what they offered versus insurance because in dentistry, I don't know about the rest of you, but you don't get anything for your dental package. No, no. You know, so I looked at my you cleaning my dentist, the year. It's great. Yeah. I, I looked at my dent, my dentist's uh, package and I said, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll pay X hundred dollars a year and, and just deal with you. And um, they've backed it up. Yep. One of the reasons, uh, just high-end procedures in dentistry are almost all cash paid. Implants, sleep apnea, right? Any of the, if you're doing laser procedures, mm-hmm. it's all cash paid. Yep. So anyway, I just wanted to bring up that other side of the industry where there is quite a bit of business going on that isn't related to the hospital provider side. And and uh, so those those people could end up with a really good year and they could go into next year uh, with a pretty strong foundation, as long as we don't get hit with a big, um, you know, any kind of recession. Um, but you know, the the job reports just came out. What is it today? They were good. Yeah, yeah. they're really they're good. good. For yeah, them. they were good. But, and the, and the income income went up. Yeah, Ted, you bring up a good point, and I think as as you're looking at this coming year, you also need to pay attention to class of trade and where some of that growth could be, right? You know, mm-hmm. and there's, I mean, you've got some of those other markets, like you've talked about, certainly the ambulatory surgery center market is part of that. Um, I've talked to a couple of suppliers that all of a sudden are getting calls from vet groups. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I've had some experience in there with an orthopedic company I used to work with where, you know, all of a sudden you know, the veterinary channels for, you know, uh, companion pets and large animals are getting calls like crazy. So there's there's different things to think about if you're stagnating on one area, you know, get creative and think about product applications and others. Yeah, let's it's, let's it's go ahead, diversifying your market, you know, okay. think out of yeah. the box. Mm-hmm. You know, even products that may not move well in a hospital, normal hospital environment, but could move really well elsewhere. And you were thinking of discontinuing something. So so let's move on to another functional area. So we sort of looked at the foundation, which is where where is the money and, you know, how is it benefiting different parties in the med tech industry? Uh, of course, we talked about how the hospital business is under a lot of pressure, the provider side, and that affects all of us um, pretty heavily, or a, a large part of the med tech industry. But let's look at some of the functional areas about, you know, Tom was talking about communicating your message out to people. And um, I know we've talked about trade shows in the past, but I just wanted to spend a couple minutes on the experience because I've had some unusual experiences the last few months in the trade show business. Um where, where do people see that as an opportunity to communicate value propositions? I've got some opinions because we help people run trade show, like run trade show marketing. But Ted, what have you experienced over the past couple of months? Well, so um, yeah, I did a podcast on trade shows and some of the forecasts of these two ladies that um, uh, organize events for tra- for major companies came true in that, um, a couple of trade shows I went to, the attendance was about 70% of pre-COVID. And and then I went to a trade show where they broke all records for attendance against pre-COVID. But the 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 markets were different. So um, the trade shows that were the 70% were um, neuroscientists and um, ophthalmologists. And so 
they were they probably they may have had some restrictions from their partners from other people they're working with who can go over concerns about having somebody come down with COVID and screwing up the whole practice for a couple of weeks, you know, because these people are very, very busy. But the one that was really busy was optometry. It hmm. was just packed. And um, people were just amazed at how, how the kind of turnout they had. Now, again, that's a practice where they don't want interference by losing a doctor during part of a week to to COVID and losing all those patients, that revenue. But um, boy, they were they were gung ho. We're seeing um, a lot of interest from the supplier side, the manufacturer side, right? To to get back to trade shows, it's like everybody's ever been a sales, you know, in sales is like gunning to get back. And we're seeing that the customer side is about half of what it normally is. Some are really good. Some are you know <clears throat> much less than that, but. Um, it's it, we're just not there yet, and so the demand, I don't know, the supply of salespeople calling on folks trying to make something work there is way high, and the number of people to call on is way low. Um, and so one of the things that we've been doing a lot of is trying to encourage um, meetings outside of the typical thing. So you know, imagine get the list of attendees and then identify the ones that you want to have lunch with, breakfast with, grab a cup of coffee with, that sort of thing, and focus on that versus like booth traffic and things like that. It's just a much more effective way to go about leveraging it and then following up with communication. There's, there's a particular strategy that we're finding um, to be really effective when it comes to trade shows, when the number of attendees is down or the number of prospects is down. So I'd like to talk about that at some point if anybody's interested. That's a good, that's found- a great, great. Um, I mean, one of these meetings that I went to, we did not have an exhibit. We had an offsite uh, room where we were, demonstrating um, instrumentation and we were busy and we probably yeah. did a lot better doing it that way. We, we marketed to the people coming to the meeting. We're yeah. there, but we're off site. We're going to, you know, and uh, we were probably, uh, probably had a much better ROI than we would have if we had had an exhibit. Absolutely. Yep. And, and that's one of the things I've experienced too. I've not traveled as much as like Skinder. We could have a contest here. Who's been to the most meetings Skinder may win. I think it was like, I don't know, six in one month or something like that for him. But um, I've been to about 14 or 15. And same sort of thing, Scott, is having those small little, let's take a coffee break, let's do this, let's do that, uh, and reverse expo type things aren't bad either. But it's booth traffic is just so fickle, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you don't have that right mix, so I've helped organize a couple of conferences lately, and it's always, what's the balance? What's the balance between, you know, providers and suppliers and things? So you do have to use a lot of different strategies for the time and money and what you really get out of them. Yep. Your thoughts, Tom? I was going to add that uh, when, you know, uh, from a different angle, if you are going to a trade show as a manufacturer in the med tech space, you want to take the time to make sure your team on the ground there, I'm going to come back to messaging and communication one more time, because you've got some traffic coming through, right? It might be low, especially if the traffic's lower, right? If you're at one of these conferences where maybe there's only 50% or 60% of the normal providers, you've got to have your sales team or the booth team laser focused, right? 
and not just be standing there. They've got to be very professional. They've got to be prepared with the right sorts of questions to ask and make sure that they're focused on those high value uh, products and services that are going to really capture the attention of that person walking by. Because we all know, we've all been at those shows, but you've got about 12 seconds right, to mm-hmm. capture the attention of that person and they're either going to walk by or walk in. So it's really up to your team to capture because there's going to be much fewer folks and the folks that are there are going to have much more on their plate. So you really have to capture their attention. Or you need to have their attention before they get there. Yeah. Which, which I'm going to let, I'm going to take that down to uh, Skander and Scott. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I so in the spirit of year in review, I agree with Scott. That's what we saw. We, we attended about 25 conferences this year. Oh, um, yeah. Any, anything that were clinically oriented, the clinical attendees were down uh, anywhere between 50 and 70%. Um, so it was a struggle. The number of companies, what we saw is at the beginning of the year, so many of those shows were oversubscribed from a supplier perspective, only to finally start to decline once they started to realize that there wasn't the rebound in the clinical community that was coming out there. I think a lot of that is tied to our earlier discussion. You know, so many of those clinicians were uh, were uh, reliant on some sort of hospital subsidy to go get their CE and CME credits at those shows when times are tough, budgets get tight. Some of those things are the first things to go. And I think the hospitals through 2020 started saying to their uh, physicians and nurses saying, Hey, you were able to get your CE and CME credits virtually in 2020. I think you can probably do that again this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if 2024, if there's any sort of rebound to that, because the supplier community definitely wants that back. That was very evident. There was a rush back. And you can see by some of the shows we went to were also corporate and national account shows where it's not so heavily reliant on a clinical provider being there. It's more of a buyer. And the buyers were there in full force. The suppliers are there in full force. And a lot of those conferences had record turnout. So it's it's going to be a balance of trying to figure out when do the clinician subsidies come back to send them and when do they want to and when do they have the capability because there's also the time challenge of them coming back. I think it's going to dictate how the 2024 a 2023, man. I keep so you realize next year is 2023, right? I keep yeah, <laughs> the year for some a reason. Is there an yeah. apocalypse coming? I, <laughs> I, I, who knows? Uh, but, but with that, I think it's uh, I think it's one of those things where it's going to be interesting to see what happens in 23, and we'll be able to see that very early. And then I'm going to make a shameless plug, but I'm going to save that for a couple minutes, and I'll throw my plug in at the end. Okay. But Scott, what do you think of the concept of making sure that um, people have you on their list when they come to the show? Yeah, I I think that's the way to do it. I mean, I, I talk about 23 in review. I had um, I had a couple of interesting conversations with um, a, a trade associations, right? So like clinical trade associations where they're, you know, I won't say which ones they are, but, and they would you know comprise a particular clinical specialty. And this was more than one. So I had more than, more than one conversations. They were all the same. They were basically, we don't know how to get the younger members of our profession, right? Let's say neurologists, right? For, for giggles, we can't, we don't know how to get the younger neurologists to join the association, let alone show up to 
our conferences. And the reality is this is a, this is a, a mega trend that we're going to see, kind of like we saw vendor credentialing came in back in like the early 2010s, right? And now it, it's everywhere. This is something that we're seeing is, is the, the decreasing value of these associations and therefore the conferences that they have. And so to the question that you had, Ted, it's crucially important to figure out who's going to be at the trade show that you want to talk to and to reach out to them ahead of time. Uh, so that's kind of one thing to do. The the other thing to do is to have a good follow-up plan because, again, the reality is you're going to have a ton of people that you'd love to talk to that are never going to come by the booth, right? I, I remember back to my time when I had to stand in a booth, and it was always like some physician was had come in from – Georgia, the country, not the state. And, you know, he didn't speak English very well and I don't speak Georgian. So we're like pantomiming around a, an insulin pump. Like it was just didn't make sense. And there wasn't a lot of value. And that's my experience uh, ad nauseum with a lot of booth activity. So you got to figure out how do you get out of that booth and how do you, how do you reach out and be more proactive? And it comes into having value. And then to your point, Ted, can you have an offsite? Can you have a place where there's a, there's a cool factor to attend as opposed to, you know, the, the whole, like, I have to go down to the trade show booth to see if I can get some free coffee or something like that. Like, that's not going to get you value in the long run. Another thought would be attending smaller shows, small specialty shows, mm-hmm. where you have a better chance of getting somebody's attention. Um, you have very serious attendees. That that works. I know that works very well in uh, the ophthalmic subspecialties and the optometric subspecialties. So that's a thought. And a piece of interesting advice that we came up across um, during one of my interviews was keep your keep your space that you may have signed up for next year, but only send uh, maybe a third of your booth equipment. Have your booth house, your exhibit house, restructure exhibit so it, it can function in, let's say, uh, two-thirds of or half of the space that you have. And for the rest of the space, put tabletops and chairs. The, the attendees will love you for it. And um, but you'll have just saved a lot of money on shipping, transportation, what your salespeople need to uh, staff. But any attendees that are coming by will love the fact they have a place to sit down and have a cup of coffee. So mm-hmm. um, I agree with that in a big way. Um, I don't know. We, we're sort of coming on, on time. I thought maybe we'd do a, a real quick. What's different in sales? Uh, or what? How would we say the year wrapped up for the the con the the function of sales? Hurry up and wait. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for the reps. For the reps. There's yeah. a lot of hurry up and wait. We've seen a lot of fits and starts and stops um, from from a lot of our clients uh, who get told, hey, we're going to start something next month. And then, you know, the triple-demic per Barbara's coining. Uh, there's five cents, Barbara. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden they get told, come back next month. We'll start next month, and then next month there's another excuse, and we'll start again. So there's been a lot of hurry up and wait we've seen. Okay. I would add, uh, boy, it, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. No matter what size of organization you are, I've talked to folks from you know Fortune 50 companies to startups, and they all thought, gosh, coming back, this is going to be much easier. Case volumes are going to go up, right? They're going to love me, and they can't get in the door still. So it's still much harder than anybody thought it was going to be. Does that change? I know we're getting close to to end, but like, does that change in 2023? Um, in if it does change, not much. 
right? I don't yeah. think it's going to get easier. I don't think it's going to be, it's going to move the needle much in terms of that. It comes back to all those things that, you know, you and Barbara were talking about. Yeah. So one of the things that you really need to follow along with that is follow along with the mergers and acquisitions going on in the provider world. Because as big as some of them are, they still want to add more to them. So what happens so much is the seats change a lot. So if leadership is changing, their whole approach to what their internal organizations are going to practice like, then those folks that you were calling on no longer exist or they're in different roles and things. And if you're not paying attention to all of those and really, you know, updating your CRM to your contacts and all that sort of thing is that hurry up and wait is because, oh, well, I've heard this 10 times uh, only in the last couple of months is, well, Susie Q left and now I have to start all over and I don't know who that is and Mm -hmm. we're not sure. So there's just a lot of moving parts going on. So management, the sales reps have to be patient. Management has to be patient and they have to have things in place to keep the sales teams intact. If if they want to keep them intact, um, compensation plans, maybe what it's based on and so on. So as we wrap this up, I know that Skinner wants to get to a plug. So, um, any final comments that people have? We, we, should we end on you, Skinner? Uh, we'll let everybody else say their piece first. Okay. All right. So I'll just go around the table so people can make a final comment as we sort of wrap up the year here. Uh, Barbara. Well, follow up with what I was just saying. Use the time during the holidays and things to try to catch up with what are some of those, you know, like daily e-trades that I can really read and pay attention to? What are things that we should communicate within your own supplier organization that each of your facets are really learning. So have a way to keep current. Scott. Yeah. Um, I think just as far as what 2022 taught us, I think we're going to have, I I think the companies that are succeeding that succeeded in 2022 were the ones that figured out how to um, sort of, play the stop and go better, right? Could could run when they needed to run, could slow down when they need to slow down. Um, I think that that's going to be a key trait for companies going forward as well as like, hey, how do you make sure that you understand where those opportunities are? You run to where they are, but you don't get too far out of your skis to um, uh, that you're wasting money. And I think, again, like what Skin was talking about with the uh, uh, the trade shows earlier in the year, like everybody ran at them and then realized maybe not quite as good. And so then they backed off and I think that's the appropriate thing is to figure out what what's the new reality and not be tied to the past. And and that's the flexibility that defines champions here. Tom? Two words, research and listening. Research your customer because it's no longer one size fits all. And listen, listen to your customer because they will give you the guide the guidepost as to what they need and give you direction as to how to best interact with them. I'm going to make a comment before I turn it over to Skender, and that is going back to Barb staying current. I read Becker uh, Health every day, and they have they have um, a lot of subspecialty uh, newsletters as well. 
And so whether you're a sales rep or whether you're a CEO, you should be looking at that because it gives you, that's a good one. There's several other publications that are out there. You should find two or three publications related to what you do and you should look at them whenever they come out because they give you a, a little pulse of the business that can be helpful. And then I'm going to turn it over to Scott here to final comments on wrapping up the year. Skinder, you're going to plug, right? No, Scott. I'm, I'm not Scott Skinder. I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. Well, uh, and, hold on, hold on. They're oh. going to edit that. Now I'm going to turn it over to Skender <laughs> to wrap up the year. Thank you. Thanks. And, and and I feel like everybody just gave me a softball here, not knowingly, but it's exactly with the plug that I wanted to talk about. We we have listened to our customers. We have been paying attention to the challenges of our customers. Our customers are both clinicians and provider clinicians and primarily med tech. And we've been listening. And frankly, both sides want to connect. It's not like the clinicians don't want to connect. They want to connect. They miss that interconnectivity. It's just because of the challenges and the red tape that is involved in trying to create separation, there has been that separation. So we have developed a new virtual reverse trade show. We are launching in February of 2023. I got the year right. Um, We will be launching a virtual reverse trade show with spinal surgeons on February 28th of 2023. Any med tech organization has an opportunity to come in to the platform, spend roughly two and a half hours with us, and they're guaranteed 10 discussions with high level spinal surgeons and an opportunity to not only get immediate clinical feedback and insight on products that you may not have gotten that feedback, but also try to see if there's an opportunity to gain a champion. Um, and this is what we're hearing from both sides. The clinicians want to be reengaged. They feel like they're disconnected from the market in terms of being able to provide that feedback. And clearly we've talked about it ad nauseum here. The med tech community feels like they're disconnected from the thought leaders and from the uh, decision makers. So we created this platform to forge those two and bring those two back together. We have a pilot uh, program starting on January 12th uh, for interventional radiology and um, vascular surgery. And then we're going to launch another one in March for chief nursing officers, CNOs. And then we'll have one likely in July for OR managers. and then we are potentially evaluating one to three other modalities through the year. But the whole platform is come in, have 10 concentrated discussions with high-level decision makers. We are keeping the the fee structure at a minimum to allow it to proliferate and give everybody access to this so it doesn't just go to the haves. We want it to be open to everybody uh, and really create that access so that we can be the conduit that connects all sides back in 2023. Hey, Skinder, uh, first of all, awesome plug. No um, kidding. Second of all, and more importantly, where does one go to find information about that? Excellent. We'll have our website up. Uh, when By the time this is published, the website will be up. It's www.thethe-clinx.com. So that's theclinx.com with a hyphen between the and clinx. And check out the platform is called Virtual Clinician Access or VCX. And we'll have that, all of that material will be publicized. Uh, the med tech experts will also be given discount codes uh, to pass along to your friends 
uh, to give them an opportunity to join at an earlier opportunity. Cool. Cool. That's, cool. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Good deal. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Well, thank you very much for participating today. My, uh, uh, four fellow panelists and for all the listeners and uh, our audience out there happy holidays happy new years and we'll uh, see you in the new year messaging now has to be razor sharp and cycles of both sales and investment are taking longer than before it's vital to be careful on utilization of resources and balancing labor and supply challenges with opportunity were pivotal aspects of 2022 And in the next episode, we'll hear about setting up 2023 for success. We hope that you have a great holiday season and look forward to having you join us in the new year.